0: Revelation chapter 19, please, for our first reading. Revelation and chapter 19. Remember, we're looking at the subject of our union with Christ, uh, the relationship we have with him, how we belong to him, how we are joined to him. And we saw the glorious picture of what that will mean in a day to come when we realize it in its absolute splendor and glory and fullness at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then, in verse, it says here in verse nine. I want you to get that verse nine, please. Right, right. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> That's where we're at now. You know, if you're someone who is truly the Lord's, you've already been called. You're just waiting for the grand climax. But you're already belonging to him. You're already united to him. You're just waiting to literally see him. Blessed are they which are called. Blessed, it's the fourth beatitude of the book of Revelation. There's seven of them. Always seven in Revelation, for that's God's perfect number. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says to me, these are the true sayings of God. (laughs) Romans tells us that those he has called, them also he has justified. Them he has justified, these also he has glorified. And the picture we've looked at in the bride and groom of the marriage supper of the Lamb is those who are called finally glorified. But we're in the good of it all now, we're just waiting for the fullness of it and the reality of it in that wonderful, wonderful day that lies ahead of us. We've already been called, we've already been justified, we're being sanctified, we're making ourselves ready, that's what it means really, and he is making us ready in the meantime. We're just waiting until we finally see him face-to-face, but it's a blessed thing to be among the called of God, because that means we already are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're already united to him, and that's what we've been looking at, the enjoyment of our union with our Lord Jesus Christ now. So just turn with me to Ephesians, the things we have now, and just in Ephesians it says, in verse 22, he's put all things under his feet. He gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body. Now that's just an illustration the church which is his body. He is the head, the church is the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And John chapter 15, please. <clears throat> John chapter 15. Here's another illustration of our relationship now with the Lord Jesus, John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, think about the picture of a vine and branches and grapes, fruit, I am the vine, you are the branches, that's an illustration of our current relationship with the Lord Jesus. He that abides in me and I in him. That's the link we have together. It's so close. It's actually living together and Christ living in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's why I know I'm going to be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You see, we have this link in with him and We live and exist because of him and we grow because of him and we bear fruit for him and for his glory in this relationship together. And I want you to get it again this week as we finish it up. The wonder of our present relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we are actually united to him. It means we belong to him. We are linked with him. We are joined to him. We are bound to him. In that description that the Apostle Paul uses he says we are actually in Christ you can't sort of see the two apart Christ and and the one who has been redeemed now that relationship that union that bond between us we've already learned it's a spiritual bond remember John 14 verses 16 to 23 read them again for yourselves for yourselves and if you haven't Go back and listen to the sermon last week and you get the beauty of that picture there, that the Holy Spirit makes the bond between the believer and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a bond that's so strong that it's unbreakable. A bond that is so permanent that it's eternal. It's a bond whereby we are living and dwelling together and joined by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a living bond, we saw that, a living union, a spiritual union and then a living union, whereby I'm actually drawing my life all the time from the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got eternal life. That life is in Christ. We came as guilty sinners and what did he do? And when we repented and trusted him, he gave us eternal life. He didn't give it to us as a one-off gift and that was a finish and then he left us alone and looked to look to the next one. Is it going to give eternal life over there? No, he gave us that eternal life and it's a flow from him of that life which is in him which constantly flows all the time. He doesn't give it to us and then cut us off and go away. It's coming from himself all the time so that it's described as becoming in the believer a fountain of living waters. And it's described in the believer as becoming rivers of living water. So it's got to be have a source and a constant supply. And that's our union, our relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's a living one. We're drawing all of our life entirely from him. Now we read about the Lord Jesus and the church. He is the head of the body, which is the church. And that's a picture of the union that's between us and the Lord Jesus. It's vital, you know. Without that union, we are left on our own and we have nothing. John 15, without me, absolutely nothing. Now to get the picture of a head and a body, because these are just examples of what the relationship is. The body itself is completely dependent on this head. That is so in a, a physical sense. The body is under the direction of the head. It's reliant on the head and it's constantly drawing from the head. The moment there's a disconnect between body and head, then the body cannot continue on its own. So our link with the Lord Jesus, we call it also a vital union. It's absolutely essential, because apart from the head, the body cannot exist. At the same time, and this is wonderful, the head uses the body... To express itself. Right? How do you... You know, I want to do something. My head saying I'm going to do something. Well, it's then my hand that goes and does it, expressing what is in my head, as it were. And that hand is entirely dependent upon the direction it gets from my head. It doesn't just work on its own. It actually physically cannot. That's the whole point of when somebody has a stroke. What actually happens? Something up here doesn't function, you know? There's a hole in the wiring. And this hand cannot of itself conceive the notion of doing something, let alone of itself actually go and do it. It just falls useless by the side because it's lost its connection with the head. So you see, when it's talking about head and body, the relationship between Christ and the individual, that is the point of it. The body totally dependent... But marvelously, the head is expressing itself through its body. So the relationship between us is not just vital to us, it's also reciprocal in the sense that it comes as a joy to the head to see the body expressing the will that the head has. Now that's how we live, giving joy to the heart of the Lord Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. And at the same time, totally drawing from him and absolutely reliant upon him. As he expresses himself through us. And the two coming together form that living and that vital union. Now look, this relationship which you and I have between yourself, you and the Lord Jesus, how can you explain it to somebody who's not saved? You will find it very, very difficult because there's something about this relationship, this union which is, and it's a correct word to use, it is mystical, mystical. Now it's not mysticism, it's not that you sort of sit there and you go into sort of a trance and you go into some deep meditation and you find yourself merging off mystically into the eternal, no it's not that. It's not the new age idea where basically mysticism is something that's absolutely vile and communion with evil spirits, we're not talking about that. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus that's just beyond that which is natural and normal and physical. It's beyond the five senses, you know, whereby we get things. We get it by sight, by smell, by taste, by touch, and by hearing. No, no, this is a another dimension comes into the life of the believer at that point of being joined eternally to him, the Lord Jesus. And it's something which only the believer really knows, it's something which the believer literally experiences. And it's beyond the realm of natural sense. We're going into the realm of the spiritual, you see. And this is exactly what is being said in 1 Corinthians two. It talks in terms of who can know the things of a man except a spirit of a, by the spirit of a man that's in him. Or who can know the things of God except by the Holy Spirit of God? What does that mean? Well, it means this. how can you know, how does a person know what it's like to be human? Well, by being a human. You've got a dog. Does your dog know what it's like to be human? <laughs> no, no more than you know what it's like to be a dog. Well, he's got the spirit of the dog. I've got the spirit of the human, spirit of mankind. So we relate, we understand. Now, spiritually, it's just exactly the same. You don't know the things of God unless you've got the spirit of God. And there's a dimension about it all which only the believer knows and it's joy right here and now. I always remember as a very young fellow I would have been about, I reckon I'd have been no more than nine. And it was in the days of travelling salesmen. You know, they used to come to the door and try and sell your mum a washing machine on the day because it was cheap or take something else on higher purchase. Remember this fellow came to the door and uh, was trying to sell her something which she had no notion of buying (laughs) because we never had the money anyway in those days. But... And they got on to talking about spiritual things and she starts to tell him about the Lord and to tell him about the forgiveness of sins and to tell, her, tell him what, that she was a Christian, she was saved. And he goes on, he shakes his head and he goes, I can't, I just don't understand this. He said, I can't make top or tail of it. He says, how do you get this? She said, well, I've got faith and that brings me in, sin, gives me the blessing. Oh, well, he says, if that's the case, I'll never understand it because I ain't got that. And he was dead Right. You see that missing link, that channel that conveys the blessing, that gift that comes from God. He could, he hadn't, didn't have it, but she had it because she had the Holy Spirit within her, and she had be, come to know the things which are of God because of the Holy Spirit which is within them, within her. So there it is. That's there's something mystical about it. If you want to use that that word, there's something vital about it, living about it, and spiritual about it. And not only that, when we went into John chapter fifteen. There's even another dimension in the relationship. There's something that's growing about it. She's not dead. It grows. A vine and the branches, it's organic. There's an interplay, an interdependency, a growth and a changing. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me, we've been through that. I in him, we've been through that. The description of the link brings forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing there is the vine and the branches now it's a bit hard to differentiate what's vine what's branches you see because it makes one entity that's the whole point of your union with the lord it's a a thing you become as it were joined to him and in him and part of him and he is in you you see there's that What's the vine? What's the branch? What's the vine? I'm not quite sure. But somehow or other, they prune them, don't they? And they cut them right back to a sort of a central stump. And then what happens? It starts to grow again. You see, the life, the sap comes there from that central core, that central stem, and goes out through to the branch. And the branch is entirely dependent on drawing that life sap from the very vine centre itself. And in response, it grows and it bears fruit. Fruit, And the people look at the vine and they say, what a beautiful vine with all those grapes on. Now you see, it's like that. Here we are joined to the Lord Jesus. Here we are constantly taking from him that life from above. And it's a vital union because if you separate a branch from the vine, the branch just dies. And not only that, the branch then continues to grow and it brings forth fruit for the splendor of the vine. And indeed that's exactly what our union with Christ is is like in that picture. We are drawing constantly. We are absolutely dependent. We in turn, we grow in the joy and understanding of that and we bring forth fruit for God which gives him pleasure and shows something of his glory as we live our lives in the goodness of that vital, living and reciprocal union, you see. We're bringing forth fruit for him and he's getting glory. We are drawing all from him and we're getting blessing. Now we've got that now in part, right? And it's there in part now and it's growing gradually more and more precious and real to us. We remember we said it was like the bud of a flower. Everything's in the bud. It's just at time, you know, it slowly opens. And then in the finality of the thing, it blooms in all its beauty. And that's the marriage supper of the Lamb, if you like. That's when the thing, we enjoy it in its fullness and in its display as it really is. Get it clear. The branch is there because of the vine. It's drawing life from the vine. It's growing because of the vine. And it's bearing fruit in the vine. Now there's something more wonderful still about this relationship you and I have with the Lord Jesus. This union... It's a, it's an indissoluble one. In other words, it's one that you can't break, you can't dissolve it. You know, you get something and you put it in water and then it's gone, it's dissolved. <laughs> that can never, never happen. It's a bond which cannot be broken. Now, if you can grasp this truth this morning, you will never again have any doubts about your salvation. But doubting about salvation, whether I'm the Lord's or not, it's a very real thing. People think it's not common some people think it's not normal some people think nobody would do that if they knew they were saved well I'm sorry it doesn't work that way we're human still with our frailties and very often when you're not grounded in the truth of scripture you're far more wide open to having a lot more doubts now get to grips with this fact because you'll never lack assurance again the bond remember was made by the indwelling Holy Spirit we went through that in John 14 he comes into us he dwells with us he abides with us, that's permanent. Abiding's permanent, not visiting. And enables us to abide in him. That's permanent. That's not just visiting, right? And see, that's the meaning of what the Lord Jesus said to them before he went, just as he went to heaven. He made this incredible remark as he told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I read it the other night and then it suddenly hit me. Lo, I am with you Always. Always even to the end of the age, or the end of the world. It actually means throughout the entire course of time. And the promise there was not just two disciples going out in the world. It was a promise to all of his disciples who would go out into the world, that throughout the entire course of time, the Lord Jesus Christ would always be with them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't. One, because he won't. Two, as it were, pardon me saying it, he can't. Because you are bound to him by the power of an almighty God, the second person of the Godhead. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that bond has been made and abides and it's fitting and it's fixed and it's eternal. So he's going to be with us right through the end of time, no matter who his disciples are. And it's wonderful to rest firmly in that, that nothing's going to cause him to leave us. He has already united himself to us. And eternally, in that final act of commitment, as it were, pictured as a marriage supper, do you think he's going to leave you in eternity? The fact is, he'll no more leave you in time. What's that hymn, A firmer foundation, ye saints of the Lord? It says... The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, he'll never, no never, forsake to its foes. The the soul that, though all hell, should endeavour to shake, he'll never, no never, no never forsake. Finished, finalised on the basis of what God has done. This is the clue to understanding Romans chapter 8. This is actually the grand finale of Romans. 8. turn with it. Turn to me, with me to it, please. And just, just let these words speak for themselves without me, as if we're adding anything. For a start, he says this in verse thirty-eight of Romans eight. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Where's the love of God? It's in Christ Jesus our Lord. No separation from the love of God any more than there's any separation from Christ Jesus our Lord. No one, no thing, at no time, for no reason, will ever cause a separation. Get this so that you understand Romans 8 a bit better. This chapter and this section, particularly from verse 31 down, is is the grand finale of Paul's exposition of the truth of the gospel and of salvation and the personal Experience of it for the individual believer Romans 1 to 8 brings it out 9, 10 and 11 if you want to understand that better that's looking at how from God's side not from our side and our experience of it but from the wisdom of God's planning and of his ways and how he has worked out the truth of his gospel and a bit sad really and then in chapter when you get up to chapter 12 it's our response to it you present your body a living sacrifice right now he first of all told them the need of the gospel in the first chapter 1, 2, 3. He ends up with saying, all have sinned and come short of the go- glory of God. Then he tells us the wonderful solution that God has provided and how he did it. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, who we set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, chapter 3. Then he tells us the way in which we can receive this blessing. And then he talks about the faith of Father Abraham and being justified by faith. And then he takes you through all the blessings of salvation in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 7, and all the way through chapter 8. And then he gets in halfway through chapter 8 and he says there's sufferings in the present time. We're going to be groaning at times uh, because we're so burdened with afflictions. But he said the climax of it all is no one, nothing, shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the crowning point of salvation. One to know, one you need to know, you need it because you're a sinner. Two, you need to know who provided it—the Savior who was set forth a mercy seat through faith in His blood. Three, you need to know how to get it—it's through faith, the gift of God, the believing, the the laying hold of those things. And then four, working out all the blessings that you've got and realizing you can never lose them. Nothing's going to separate you, nothing, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This living, organic, vital, indissoluble union is one that is absolutely permanent. You look at verse 31. He goes through the lot. He says, who can be against us? Question one. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Verse 35. Who shall separate us? Answer to for whose answer is no one who's going to be against us no one if god is for us we saw that this morning with brother phil and the power of god right who's going to charge us who's going to bring a a sin against our name that christ has not died for who's therefore going to condemn us when he has borne our condemnation who's going to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus no one verse 35 he says tribulation distress persecution Famine, nakedness, peril, sword. What's the answer to that? Nothing. Not one single thing. No one and no thing. No hostile, adverse situation will ever separate you. And Christ, never. Can't separate you from the love of God and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 38. Death, life, angels, principality, power, height, depth, any other creature. What is it? No one... No thing, no power, things present, things to come, at no time. See the fullness of that. No one, no thing, no power, at no time, whether it's right now or even in the future until we get home to glory. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the union, the bond, the link we have with the Lord Jesus in salvation is a permanent, unbreakable indissoluble relationship. And if that's not enough to thrill your heart, it's personal, alright? All those things we have, but it's individual. It's between you and your Lord and Savior. It's that it's a personal link. We don't have this link with this link with the Lord Jesus, this union say, through the church. Right? There's nothing in between you and him. Nothing. Now we need to understand that because Sometimes people understand that by going to church while well, I'm a Christian and I'll go to heaven by and by. You don't get your, your relationship with the Lord Jesus through the church. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that. It dispenses the grace of salvation, doesn't it? The church has it, you become a member of the church, you're baptised into it and you're known as one of it and therefore you've got salvation through the church and you keep your salvation through the church. If you leave the Catholic Church, we haven't got salvation anymore. All right, That's the notion of the idea in simplicity. Now it's not like that. It's something that is between you and the individual. Now, that is why in, in Revelation 19, first of all, the union is seen as a bride and a wife, the church and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb and the company of the redeemed. It's a collective vision. But straight after he says, Blessed are they who are called. That's the individual. That is each member of the church. It is... Absolutely per, um, personal. And please notice again, this indissoluble, this indivisible, this unbreakable, this eternal relationship is personal and it was made by Him. After all, He did the calling, didn't He? Who was it that. Why did you get saved? Did you not hear His voice calling you? Of course you did. That's how it all began. He did the calling. He it was that sought us. Yes, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He it was that bought us by his own precious blood. He it was that actually went up above, and before he left he says, I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And then he himself came and he made his abode with us. So you see this bond, you see this relationship, you see how strong it is, you see how it's been made by the hand of God, by the power of God, by the work of Christ, in the love of Christ. And we are just bound up together in the bundle of the living, we're part of him and he's in us. Inseparable. Nothing shall separate us, or can separate us, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. will give you an illustration, because I like this one. It stayed with me ever since I was very young when I read it in a book of Tom Rees, the great preacher in the 1960s. And he, uh, he was a great preacher. He filled the Albert Hall in London many times, in the, the 50s it was, in those glorious days when the Gospel went right across the world in a remarkable way under the hand of God, in a remarkable way. And he was there and he was um, <clears throat> taking a mission in the lower parts, the East End. Uh, of London, the lower parts, those were socioeconomic parts. He was doing a lot of work amongst the young people as well and they were coming every night. And he said there was a, a boy there and we'll call him Johnny for the want of a better name. He was 10 or 11, just a young fella, brought up, you know, very poor circumstances, skinny stripling of a boy and he watched him and he formed some sort of relationship with him and chatted to him and he was concerned about him and one night he said, Johnny, he said, tell me, are you saved? And he goes, Oh no, no, Mr. Reese, I'm not saved. Well he said, When why why are you not saved? He said, Well, Mr. Reese, I mightn't be able to keep it. And he said, I went, to, I said, I put up my hand like that with my wrist up. I said to him, Johnny, take hold of my wrist and you hold it tight, really tight. Really tight. He said, Yes, and he held it really tight. See, there's the see the bond between the two hands? And then he said, "Now hold tight, you really hold tight." He said, and I just started. He started to wriggle it and wriggle it and wriggle it, and then he went, Pow! and the boy let go. And he said, "Now look, Johnny, watch." And Mr. Reese said, "You put up your hand." And Johnny puts up this skinny little wrist again. And Mr. Reese was a big man with a big hand. Bang! Got him. Right? <laughs> Held it. Now he said, Johnny. You better break this link, he said. Now, come on, come on, Johnny. And he wriggled and he wriggled and he wriggled and he wriggled and he pulled and he tugged. And he couldn't get out. He just couldn't get out. And he stopped and he said, Well, that's strange, isn't you know, it, Johnny? What's, what's happened? He said, You got out last time. He broke it. This time it didn't. I oh, said, But Mr. Reese, last time I had hold on you. This time you got hold on me. That's the difference. Now, do you get it in that simple illustration? Thank God it is He who has got hold on us and in that personal, individual way. And this is a great blessing. What that actually means is I know him personally and directly as in exactly the same way as he knows me personally and directly. You understand that? He knows you through and through. And we have a relationship whereby we too can know him. That won't be... in. In its fullness it will be when we see him face to face and we will know, even also as we are known. I think that's a wonderful thing to look forward to. But right now he actually knows you. See, when you were saved, Revelation 21 will tell us, he wrote down your name in the Lamb's book of life. He has his own personal record of everyone that belongs to him. After all, he called you, didn't he? And when he called you, didn't he call you by name? He calls his own sheep by name. It's an individual calling. And in that response, finally he writes that name down in his own record of those who have eternal life. There's a verse in Isaiah, it says it, lovely. Just stop and think about that. You might be very young here today and you're saved. I wanted you to know your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you realise that? Maybe you've got no relationship with the Lord Jesus and your name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life think about it because whosoever was found whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire it's a terrible end we'll deal with that later on yes but think about it now then there's that lovely verse in Isaiah which you know every Christian should get I think just just think about it for the rest of the day he says he has graven your name on the palms of his hands now we used to oh some people still do You want to remember something in the day, you write it on your hand. (laughs) These days, I guess, they stick it in their telephone. But you write it on your hand. And the only problem with that is you wouldn't forget. But the problem with that is, of course, you could just rub it off at the end of the day. No, no, God says to Israel and Isaiah, I've graven your name, I've inscribed it. You know, it's burnt into the palm of my hand. That's very personal, isn't it? And if that's not enough, get hold of this verse then. When he says to every true believer, Fear not. I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. That's it. He did all that. He sealed it. He signed it. He wrote it. He engraved it. He inscribed it. He'll never forget it. Never. God can never forget. He only forgets what he chooses not to remember. He only ever does that once. It's about your sins and your iniquities, which he won't remember anymore doesn't say he forgets them he chooses not to call them ever again to mind and it's very beautiful because this is a a very comforting truth now we're getting into some of the thoughts that phil was bringing to us this morning about underneath of those everlasting arms we're getting into some of those thoughts where i will never leave you nor forsake you we're getting into some of those thoughts where you can rest on christ the solid rock and you've got a foundation that will never 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 be moved from underneath your feet because in that section in isaiah 43 where it says Fear not, I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. There's such comfort, because straight away it goes on and says, When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you face the flame, they won't so much as touch you, sin you, or burn you. Why is that? Well, you see, he'll never leave us alone. He never will. He cannot. He's committed himself. Covenantally committed himself to us. And he signed the covenant with his blood. And he has done all that is necessary to bring us into this personal, unbreakable, and eternal union with himself. And suddenly it becomes a most, it's not just a a theological point, it's a most comforting, it's a most wonderful, it's a most happy truth. Personal union. And you get to the point where Thomas got, what did he say? My Lord and my God and you understand what that means and Mary as she wiped her tears away on the resurrection morning and blinked her eyes to look at the supposed gardener suddenly realised who she was and what did she say Rabboni which literally means my own teacher she recognised and she said you're mine because she knew that she was his there's a lovely lovely hymn <clears throat> the truth is we go on living our lives fellow believer in the sense of victory knowing that I am his and he is mine forever and forever can you get that into your heart this morning I am his, he is mine forever and forever there's a lovely hymn by J.G. Small written in the 1800s he was in a church just uh, Melrose in Scotland just outside and I've been there, been to Melrose You'll know the hymn well, I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love and thus he bound me to him and round my heart still closely twine those ties which naught can sever for I am his. He is mine forever and forever. I found a friend, oh, such a friend, So kind and true and tender, so wise a counsellor and guide, so mighty a defender. From him who loves me now so well, what power my soul can sever? Shall life, or death, or earth, or hell? No, I am his for ever. Do you understand now? Well, I said if you can grasp the meaning of our union with Christ, our our relationship with Him, our belonging to Him, our being bound to Him, our being joined to Him, our being in Him, and He being with us, you'll never lack assurance. Your salvation doesn't depend on your hold on Him, but His hold on you. And whatever your trials and weaknesses become, you'll find you'll never let go. You'll never slip out of that mighty hand. The powerful hand of God himself. None shall pluck them out of my hand. None shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. For my Father is greater. There it is, the theme this morning. Greater than all. So I live my life in the good of this. I've been called already. I'm just waiting to get there. You get the idea. I'm already betrothed. I'm already belonging to him. I'm already united. And I'm living my life in the good of it. I'm looking to him. I'm listening to him. I'm leaning on him. And all the while enjoying his love and his loving me. That's how you live your life as a Christian. Don't get tangled up in sin. Don't get tangled up in anxiety and fears. Don't get tangled up in the future. Don't get tangled up in the world. It'll spoil it all. One of the sweetest times you've ever spent with someone you love is when you're alone and together. That's when. Alone and together. Now that's you and the Lord. Spend your life with Him. Alone, as it were, and together. That's the secret, the mystical, if you like. The secret life of the believer. Where he goes into his closet and he shuts the door and he prays to his Father which is in secret. And the Father who is in secret, he answers. You see, there's a relationship that's got nothing to do with the public got nothing to do with what's seen or what you do in your rituals and your observances. There's something between you and the Lord. Sure, you have a relationship with the church and in the world and all the rest of it. But the secret of it is what goes on in the closet, if you get what I mean, between you and the Lord and your relationship. And when you talk with him and speak with him, live with him and love him and prove his love in return. So it's a relationship where we're looking to him and there's grace coming all the time all the time flowing like a river flowing all the time mercy's new every morning i'm listening to him and i'm getting guidance all the time and as i live to learn closer with to him he guides me with his eye he doesn't need a bit and a bridle to pull and tug and direct us we just look and we get the glance and we understand and we know and we're leaning on him for strength that we haven't got within ourselves and we're enjoying his love in a world of hostility and a world of hate that's where we're living And that's what we're moving to, where it's got to come clearer and clearer. The world hates the Christian, the world hates Christ, and the world is anti-Christ, and the world is anti-God, but we're living our lives in the fullness of the love of God, and we are loving Him in return. Now, if you got it, the meaning of this union, and you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on your way. It's all so different when you're living your life with the Lord in the good of the relationship which He has made and it's bound, you're bound to Him, purchased by His own precious blood. There it is. That's union with Christ. Spiritual, union, living, vital, organic, mystical, reciprocal, indissoluble, personal, and eternal. Thank God. Let's pray. Father, these truths are too wonderful for us. Yet within the heart of us all, weak though we are, there's an echo of the truth of them, the reality of them. O Lord, help us, we pray, to know these blessings practically more deeply every single day and then every single moment of every single day then Lord in every single situation and every single circumstance to know the blessing of that voice that speaks I will never leave you nor will I forsake you we bless that holy name this morning Pray that as the week unfolds we may live our lives in the love of God and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of all our blessings and of who God is. May we part this morning under that divine hand, O God, we ask, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.